Mark chapter 12, verses 18 through 27. And Sadducees, this is a religious Jewish party, came to him who say there's no resurrection. And they asked him a question saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife. And when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise. And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as a wife. Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised... Have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father that in your wisdom and provision for the needs of your people and for your own glory, you provided the Holy Scriptures so we could learn about you and learn about the Lord Jesus, and we could be enlightened in our ignorance about the many things of God. We thank you for this great passage today. We ask for the guidance, the enlightenment of your Holy Spirit, that we might understand it aright and thus grow in the knowledge of our holy faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Religious conflict has always been alive and well when humans gather together in communities. Recently, 41 Methodist churches here in Dallas voted to leave the United Methodist Church denomination because of liberalism in that denomination. Well, in Jesus' day, there was also a big religious conflict between these two major uh, religious parties among the Jews, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, the Pharisees were the conservatives, theologically, biblically, and the Sadducees were the liberals. Well, the Pharisees held to the entire Old Testament 39 books uh, as being authoritative word of God, while the Sadducees only accepted as fully authoritative the Torah, that is the first five books of the Old Testament. And the 
Sadducees did not believe there was going to be a resurrection of the dead. And they didn't believe in angels either. They tended to be rich and prosperous in their society and they were cozily comfortable with their Roman overlords. The Apostle Paul was not one of them. He was a Pharisee. He was a conservative man of the Scriptures. He believed in the resurrection of the dead. He just didn't believe Jesus was resurrected. Until one day, the risen Christ met him on the road to Damascus, and he believed it for sure after that. And he spent the rest of his life preaching about the resurrected Christ. Well, here's the situation. We're going to see, first of all, that the Sadducees, these religious liberals, disparaged. They made fun of belief in the resurrection. So, they came up with this scheme to make Jesus look foolish and look bad. Well, they failed. Here's what they did. They pulled the text out of the Torah, the book of Deuteronomy, and they said, Jesus, Moses said this, that if a man is married and he dies before bearing a child, his brother has to marry the woman, and then if, she, if he dies and so forth, another one has to marry her. And so they went through this whole scheme here. And what they were doing, they were referring to a text in Deuteronomy 25.6, which says this, chapter 25, verse 5 and 6, If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. She's got to marry somebody in that family if there's an eligible brother. So her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of the dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. So the way this law operated was to keep the family line going in the name of the brother who died. Uh, so this is the way they had set it up so that the line of descendants of the first husband would not perish from the nation of Israel. His genealogy would still go on through his brother's first son. So this was the actual text of Moses. And so they took this text and they contrived this hypothetical situation and they put it before Jesus. This uh, seven brothers, they all married the woman. None of them had a child. So they said, okay, Jesus, when the resurrection comes, whose wife will she be? Well, they were gleefully confident that they were going to throw Jesus into a mental tailspin. Throw him into a quandary. He wouldn't know how to answer them. He would look stupid. And the whole concept of the resurrection would also be disparaged. Well, that's what they tried to do. 
But Jesus said, you are wrong. Now, they were wrong on several counts, several different ways they were wrong. Jesus said to them, verse 24, is not the reason you are wrong because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. So first of all, they didn't know the Scriptures. Okay? They discounted, they ignored, somehow they were blind to the very clear text in the Old Testament regarding the resurrection of the dead. It was not a secret, unknown thing. Uh, There's that great text Psalm 16, verses 9 through 11, where the psalmist says, actually this is the Messiah speaking, Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices, my flesh also dwells secure for for you, will not abandon my soul. This is the Messiah speaking to Yahweh. You will not abandon my soul to Sheol. Sheol is the place of the dead. Or let your Holy One see corruption. My body's not going to rot in the grave. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Well, at the very least, the Messiah is going to be resurrected from the dead. But that's not the only one that will be resurrected. Daniel 12. Verses 1 and 2 says, But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose names shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contentment. Well, there it is. There's going to be a resurrection of the dead. (laughs) of the just and of the unjust. And then there's that wonderful scripture that Job, uh, we find in Job chapter 19, verse 25. This is Job's testimony. Listen to what he says. He says, I know my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see see God. I mean, this is a, a clear prediction of the resurrection of the Messiah, and of Job himself, whom I shall see for myself. I shall see God, he says. I shall see for myself. My eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. He's overcome with joy at even thinking about this. And then there's these texts in the psalm. For example, Psalm 73 Verse 24 says, You will guide me, speaking to Yahweh, you will guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Not just in this life, he says, but forever. Well, so these Sadducees didn't know the Scriptures. They only knew the Old Testament. They ignored, uh, they only knew the uh, Torah, the first five books, but they ignored the rest of the Old Testament, 
Well, they didn't know the scriptures and they didn't know the power of God. I guess they didn't think that God had the power to raise a dead person to life. But he created the universe, so he can certainly do that. Another thing they didn't understand, they didn't understand that life in the world to come is not the same as life in this world. Because in the world to come, marriage will not exist. We read in the parallel passage in Luke 20, Jesus said to them, verse 34, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead neither marry or are are given in marriage, for they cannot die anymore because they are equal to angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. So Luke uh, gives a little more detail here, Jesus' words. He says that... uh, in the age to come, people are not going to marry. They're going to be like the angels. Angels don't die. And they don't marry. So that's the way life will be. In the age to come, there's not going to be any marriage. There's not going to be any death. And there's not going to be any births. Okay? There won't be any need to produce children. You're either there or you're not there. Well, so they were wrong on several counts. So, what does Jesus do? He shows them the resurrection from the dead in their own text, which they couldn't see. So he takes them back to Exodus chapter 3. It's one of the most famous and significant verses in the whole Old Testament. Exodus 3, verse 4, when Yahweh saw that he, that is Moses, turned aside to see the burning bush, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. So God appears to Moses and said, I'm the God of four people, your father, and then Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So what the Lord is saying here is that he's still in active relationship with these men. I am their God. Now, he didn't say I was the God. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am their God now. They are submitted to me now. They worship me as their God. I watch over them. I guide them. I help them. I communicate with them There's an active personal relationship presently between these patriarchs and Yahweh. There's fellowship. It's not a past fellowship. It's a present fellowship. It's not a dead fellowship. It's a living fellowship. 
why couldn't the Sadducees see that? It's right there. Well, probably because they were predisposed. They had already ruled resurrection out of their mind. They weren't looking for it. They were blind to it. They didn't see it. When it stared them in the face, they didn't see it. But Jesus opens up the Word of God to them. So, let's consider this. We're looking at here some great truths. There's the nature of humanity, the nature of human life, the nature of God, and the nature of God's relationship with men and women points to their ongoing lives and ultimate resurrection. So let me kind of break that down for us. First of all, the nature of humanity is not temporary. In Genesis 1.26, God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish, the birds, the livestock, over all the earth. God said, let us, probably a hint of the Trinity, okay, let us make man in our image. Now, God is a spirit. He's not physical, so he's not saying, let's make man in our physical image, but in our spiritual image, in our relational image, in our moral image. So, man... Kind is made in the image of God in that he has this spiritual nature about him that comes from God. And it's, it's not something that is subject to death because it's made in the image of God. God is not subject to death. Let's look at a couple of other texts in the Old Testament that confirm this. Psalm 139, verse 7 says, Psalmist, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, the place of the dead, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. So, in life and in death, we cannot escape the presence of God. The presence of God is with His people. This is not a temporary situation. Only for this life. We just looked at Psalm 16, verses 9, where the Messiah says, You'll not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. This is a very clear prophecy of the resurrection of Christ from the dead. But who is Christ? He's the first fruits. His resurrection was the first fruits of the resurrection of the dead. Because he rose, his people will rise. He's the forerunner. He's entered the holy place before us. He's the anchor because he's there. He's going to pull us to himself. So the necessary implication, I believe, is that because Christ rose, 
his people are going to rise. So the uh, Pharisees, I mean the Sadducees didn't understand this. They didn't understand the sacredness and the spirituality of human life. Now, there's some religious groups that believe in what's called the annihilation of the soul. When a person dies, their soul is annihilated. It goes out of existence. Just poof, There's nothing there. Gone. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that the soul of man lives on. It is the creation of God. It's made in the image of God. Seventh-day Adventists, for example, have a doctrine of the annihilation of the soul. That's not biblical. Well, you see, we need to consider man's nature and then we need to consider God's nature also. What kind of God is this? Well, one of the key texts in the Old Testament regarding the nature of God is found in Exodus 34, verse 6 and following. Here again where Yahweh appears to Moses. That's where Moses is hid in the cleft of the rock and the hinder parts of God pass before him. So he gets a glimpse into the glory and nature of God. It says, Yahweh passed before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding, steadfast love and faithfulness. Who is this God? He abounds in steadfast love and faithfulness. Those are two key attributes of God that are repeated often in the Old Testament. Now, if I was going to have a God, that's the kind of God I'd want to have, one who is steadfast in His love and His faithfulness. We can depend on Him. He's not going to desert us. When He sets His love upon us, it's there forever. Well, steadfast love and faithfulness, God exercised these attributes within Himself in all eternity. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit were steadfast in love and faithfulness to one another. But also in relation to His people. You see, steadfast love and faithfulness has no relevance to humans unless they're living humans. If I'm dead and my soul's annihilated, what good is it if God is steadfast in His love and faithfulness? It doesn't help me. But the whole assumption here is that there's a living, active relationship and God is steadfast in that love with His people. He's faithful in His love to His people. There's this ongoing relationship. <clears throat> well, You see, God's relationship with His people is not temporary. It is permanent. Psalm chapter 4, Psalm 4 verse 3 says, But know that Yahweh has set apart the godly for Himself. The Lord hears when I call to Him. What's this whole salvation business about? It's we have been set aside for God's pleasure. For His love. And that's a relationship that goes on even when death intervenes. The relationship does not stop. 
Psalm 28, 9. Oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. Forever. Not just in this life, but forever. Through this life, through death, through the age to come, God is the shepherd of his people. Again, Psalm 73. You'll receive me to glory. I have no one in heaven but you. No one on earth I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever, it says. Not temporarily, but forever. God is the strength of our heart and our portion. Daniel, the prophet Daniel had something to say about this. He said in chapter 9, verse 4, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, O Lord, O Yahweh, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant. He keeps His covenant, His promises to His people who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments. There's a relationship here between God and His people. Well, there's a never-dying relationship between the believer and God that death cannot cancel. All right, I'm going to read you a few quotes from some theologians there along these lines. <clears throat> Mr. Cranfield says this. He quotes from, the, uh, from one of the early church theologians, Origen, who says, It would be absurd to say that God is the God of men who have no existence at all. So these three patriarchs are alive and are conscience conscious of God and of His grace. If they were still alive at the time of Moses, we may be confident that at the last, God will raise up their bodies so they may share the final blessedness. The kernel of the argument is the faithfulness of God. So God, to be the God of somebody, the person has to be alive. Another one, William Barclay said this, In the end, Jesus based his conviction on the resurrection, on the fact that the relationship between God and a good man is one that nothing can break. God was a friend of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when they lived. That friendship could not cease with death. R.C. Sproul says this, To prove that there will be a future resurrection, Jesus simply argued that God would not speak of himself in this way were Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob not alive beyond the graves. Their lives were and are in the hand of the God of the living who does not let death end our personal existence. And then we've got an old commentary written in 1881 on the Gospel of Mark named by W.N. Clark. says this, God 
could not have called himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob if their existence was transient, temporary. The argument that Jesus is using here is that the relationship that God, that God enters into with men and women implies their ongoing existence. It's because of the nature of man that God's created and because of the nature of God Himself. Well, Jesus said, Yahweh is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God is still in relationship with these men. Though they perish from the earth, they're alive somewhere in the presence and fellowship of God. Well, so let me just make a few applications from this text. First of all, we don't want to be charged with the same charge that Jesus levels against the Sadducees. You do not know the Scriptures. Well, I know myself, I need to know the Scriptures a lot better. But we all need to know the Scriptures. We need to know the Scriptures. We need to study the Scriptures. Man, woman, teenager, old person, doesn't matter who you are. (laughs) If we're Christians... Our obligation is to know the scriptures. I got work to do. I know something of the scriptures, but there's more that I need to know. Well, another thing here. The Pharisees picked and chose what they liked and what they didn't like. They liked the first five books. We let the rest of it slide. We can't do that. We have to accept the whole Word of God. We have to take it as a unit. Now, it's not easy to figure some things out, but we've got to work at it. We've got to study. So we must accept the entire revelation of God, the entire 66 books and all that they contain. Another thing. We don't want to be like the Sadducees and doubt the power of the living God to resurrect people from the dead. He can certainly do that. He did it for His Son. That settles it forever. God resurrects people from the dead. Another thing we learn from this passage is that we learn something about the nature of life in the world to come. It's going to be different from this life. Some things, no doubt, will carry on the same, but some things will be different. There'll be no marriage, for example. No uh, procreation of children. But there'll be worship. There'll be fellowship. There'll be joy. There'll be peace. There'll be beauty. There'll be glory. Paul said, we cannot even imagine the things that will be revealed to us in the age to come. And then... The final observation here is that we should be confident from what the scriptures are showing us that even at death, as we await the resurrection at the return of Christ, the believer 
is in an active relationship with the Savior. Now, Jesus, when he was dying on the cross, the thief said, Sir, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus said, Surely I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. The man was going to die. He was going to be with Jesus in paradise. An intermediate place awaiting the resurrection. Paradise. Sometimes it's called Abraham's bosom. Uh, You remember in uh, Luke chapter, I forget the chapter. 16. 16, thank you. Where the rich man and Lazarus, the poor beggar, the rich man gathered, filled his barns, and said, Okay, I'm going to sit back and relax, enjoy life. And the, the poor beggar, Lazarus, was out there, and he had sores on his body, and the, and the dogs were licking his sores, and he had hardly anything to eat. But he was a righteous man. He was a good man. But when they, when they died, <clears throat> Lazarus went to the bosom of Abraham. And the rich man went to another compartment of the dead. But they were in conscious relationships, conscious uh, existence. And, And so we see here that there is an ongoing existence after we die. Paul said this. He said, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better than staying here with you all. But I'm going to stay. I believe the Lord wants me to stay because there's more work to do. But if it's up to my own personal preference, I'd just like to go on and be with Christ. Now, evidently, it seems to be like even being with Christ in an unbodied state is better than Staying here on earth. Now that's not the final destiny of the Christian. An unbodied state. A spiritual state. That's a temporary condition awaiting the return of Christ. When Christ returns, our souls and bodies will be reunited and made like unto Christ's glorious body. No death, no crying, no tears, no pain will be like Him in His glorious body. Well, Jesus taught some very important things here when the Sadducees tried to trip him up. He teaches us that God is not the God of the dead, but he's the God of the living. (coughs) Paul said, whether I'm here or whether I'm there, I seek to please Christ. And so that is our, our goal. To please Christ in this life. We don't have to fear when we die that we'll be separated from His fellowship. It won't be the final and complete stage of our journey. An inter- intermediate stage. But there'll be fellowship with God even as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob continued their fellowship with Yahweh 
after they had died. Jesus said, He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. He's the God now of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we cannot even express our wonder and amazement at this salvation that you provided us. Lord, death is a great and vicious and terrible enemy. And we hate it because it separates us from those we love. It's the worst thing that could happen. But it's not the final victor. It doesn't have the final say. You have the final say. Death will not end even our own existence. It will disrupt our physical existence, but it will not end our fellowship, our personal relationship with you. So we thank you, Lord. We thank you even that those Christians that we know and love who have died are in fellowship with you, awaiting the resurrection. And so we do the same here. We live in you and we move and we have our being. Lord, we want to live before your presence to please you, to bring glory to your name. And Lord, we live in joy and confidence because we know that when we do die, we will continue to have a personal relationship and fellowship with you. In Jesus' name, we give you thanks. Amen.